Welcome to Red Wine and Blue Jeans. I'm Michelle Alexander and thanks for joining me on a journey to explore the best ways to age as we navigate the second half of life. Our guest, Simone Lahan, has come a long way from growing up under apartheid as a black woman on the dry, windy plains of the Cape Flats. She attributes her strength and determination to get on with life to the older women in her family who were wise and feisty role models. Despite being involved in the tumultuous uprisings of the 70s, she studied at UCT, which was the start of a lifelong love of learning. Her first job was at Shell, and she was eventually recruited by the Department of Finance under the new democratic government, and in 2000 was instrumental in the creation of the modern national treasury. She has had an illustrious career in the corporate and government sector. Now, at 67, she is reinventing the next chapter of her life. There's no doubt that I am who I am today because, partly because of my experiences as a child, grew up on the Cape Flats, you know, dusty, dirty, <laughs> sandy, all of that. Um, and experienced life, yes, in a happy home. Elders, the elders of five children. My father went to work every day. My mother kept home. But there were the challenges of growing up either working class, lower middle class, and experiencing kind of sense of not having it all, not being able to have it all, a sense of you're being deprived of certain things. But the flip side to that is it didn't diminish who you were, who you are. Um, and that was important because... Um, that really served me well growing up when I really had to go out into the world of work during the apartheid era. And that was nobody could take away from me who I am. But at the same time, I will not use the challenges that I had growing up during um, my formative years as an excuse for not getting where, where I wanted to be or where I couldn't be. For, for, for an excuse for not achieving, let's put it that way. So the fact that mm. I was a woman, the fact that I was a black woman, was never an excuse not to achieve. I know that your father died when at an early age and that you had to take over the business. And I, I, I think at, at the age of 26, and I think it explains... What you've said explains some of the grit and the guts you must have had to do that, to take on your father's business in a male-orientated world during apartheid. I was actually 22. 22? Okay. okay. <laughs> Even younger. Oh, my um, gosh. And I, I ran it for about a few months. I didn't run it for a long time. But the point is there were these 20 workers and remember, some of them were migrant workers. They came from the Trans Sky. And I felt a huge responsibility to 
to take at least that's the least that I could do. So we finished together with them. I paid them every week. My mother could sign off on the the, 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 the bank uh, um, withdrawals. I could pay them. We finished the work. And then I knew that there was no way that I wanted this business. That was not for me. Um, it wasn't it wasn't part of my plan for myself. And then I I then approached, I made sure that every single employee found work somewhere. So I approached the various construction companies. At 22, I went to knock on the door of Simcoe Construction, Stewart and Lloyd at the time, Des Crowe's Construction, and I found employment for each and every one of those workers, the migrant workers in particular. I wrote to the department of what was then Bantu Affairs, and I explained what had happened. And I then went, they said, come in and see us. And I went in and I spoke to these men, these big burly men sitting behind their desks. And I remember that <laughs> they actually, so they praised my letter, okay? I don't know what I wrote in the letter, but they, they praised my letter. And then they agreed to what I wanted to do, that, you know, I could transfer the contract from my father's business to wherever. And that was that. So that was, again, a sense of, I guess, taking responsibility and doing what probably my father would have liked me to have done. This was just the beginning of your journey. Um, so let's jump forward to your next turning point. Well... I got married, had kids, two children. My husband and I decided that, um, you know, we needed to, we needed far greater opportunity and Cape Town couldn't give us that. And that we'd relocate to Joburg. And then the first job I landed and was actually the first job that I applied for was with the Department of Finance and I got recruited in there and it was probably the job where I learned the most, the job where I probably achieved the most in my life, but the job that also had probably the greatest personal fallout because, um, you know, I worked then for the Minister of Finance. I was part of the team that put the National Treasury together as the National Treasury. It meant we had to merge two government departments. We didn't bring in consultants like people who do today, we did it all ourselves. I did the change management. Um, there was so much that I had to do with a team of other people. I worked cl very closely with people like uh, Maria Ramos, who was the DG then, um, with Leseche Janiago, who is the governor of the Reserve Bank, and of course with Trevor Manuel, who was the minister then, and Jill Marcus, you know, but something happened at the age of 58. And, and I, I wonder if this was a, a, a precursor to the realization uh, that things needed to change and that you were looking at the start of your second half of life. You know, as we get older, we we like an ostrich in the sand. We pretend that we're not getting older. We pretend that, you know, um, life continues in the same way forever. 
and and we can't imagine life any other way. And then at some point, there's the realization that um, I think that continuing along this trajectory is not sustainable. I want to find another way of working, but I still want to be very useful and add value to society. Okay. And so that is when I went to see my financial advisor, got him to do a few calculations and decided that's it. I've never ever not worked in my life. So this is the time I'm, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to do something very different until I decide what it is that I want to do. Um, it was, I guess with hindsight it was courageous because I see other people, how people are, because you give up. It appears that you give up so much. You give up that regular income. You, you give up a regular big income and you give up all the perks that go with that. But even more importantly, you give up your professional job title. And in our society, we, we identify people through their job, for the work that they do. So we meet the new person yes. and say, what do you do? We don't ask, yes. who are you? We say, what do you do? Yes. And then we put the person what do in you a, do? We put the person in a box. Oh, you're a housewife, mm -hmm. or you're, you're a cashier in a shop, or you're a lawyer, or you're an executive, right? We do it. Right, right. And... And I initially felt that maybe that's going to be my biggest loss. I don't have a title. I, yes. People won't take me seriously. People will ignore my input. People won't think that I've got anything of value to say. And yes. at that point, I was still part, one of the institutions that I was part of was the Institute of Insurance for Gauteng. And then I, when I resigned from the insurance industry, I said to them, you know, guys, I don't think I actually need to, I must serve on this body anymore. And they said, absolutely not. We need you. And that's when I realized when suddenly I felt that I had, people were listening better to me from not coming from a link to a particular corporate, not linked to my job title, but terms of who I am and what I did. So I did a fair amount of um, developmental work in the educational space in the insurance industry. So I'd had a, when I was doing the refurbishing at the National Treasury, I had a wonderful experience of working with artists and bringing in all art forms into the Treasury and um, as artwork. And uh, I then decided I was going to sell art. So going from very left brain to right brain, and I held two art exhibitions which were very successful. Okay, not of my own work, of other people's work, and it was a wonderful experience. It was an experience that taught me I can do anything I want to do. I also went into the, um, and that's when I also explored coaching. And I also started consulting at that point and, and just working differently and finding that one's self-worth is not necessarily attached to your title, but who you are and how do you still have, so it's no longer positional power now, it is personal power.
So it's interesting that you gave yourself permission, um, sort of in your late 50s, you approaching 60, to become something different, become something softer, not as 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 hard edged and as as yeah gritty <laughs> as you were. Um, you you're absolutely right. Almost one thinks that to survive in that corporate world, you have to be gritty and hard edged, and you know, uh, um, and more so as a woman, um, you know. Um, because how else do you survive in that space? But of course, with with, the, with when one develops a toolkit and skills, you can survive and and have have a softness to you. You can have empathy. You can have compassion. You can you can have wisdom in the workplace now. But obviously, I learned that much later. So I did go into the softer things absolutely, and I found that. Um, one of the skills that I had, even when I worked in corporate, I'd be sought out to to address teams of people um, on leadership in my career, my journey. And so I started doing a lot more of that. And I started coaching. And I started, people who would have, other companies would approach me to coach their managers. And I'd do, and I wasn't a qualified coach at the time, but because I think the perception was and it's probably true that I was good at developing other people so um, so post corporate world I then ventured into that space and I slowly went in there um, but I'm also a very good project manager so I one of the big projects that I acquired at that time was to um, establish a, an international tax organization um, so I worked with all 54 countries uh, on the continent, and it's called African Tax Administration Forum. And I worked with the heads of taxes of tax for every single country. And um, I think right now there's a membership of about 40 countries, and they, the head offices are in Pretoria. And and I worked in that space. And that was wonderful. So while so while I was doing that, I was coaching and I was working with people and I was dabbling in the art space and so forth. So I had a mixture of things that I was doing, and 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 one of the things that I also always encourage people when they hit their 50s, what what other multiple what other income streams do you have? Because that's very important. You can be well established in one corporate organization, but they can retrench tomorrow. Look what happened to Comair. And then <laughs> where do you go? What do you do? Look what happened after co uh, during COVID and after COVID. Exactly, exactly. So how do you sustain yourself? So, And of course, if companies have to retrench, they retrench their most expensive commodity. And if you're 50 and you, you're earning a far better salary than someone that's starting at 30, but someone that's 30 can do the same job, why take the 50-year-old? You take the 30-year-old because for the sustainability of the company. So it, so the thing is, how do you get other income streams? How do you have multiple income streams as opposed to one? And it could be anything. It could be making acha over the weekend to just to, to, to <laughs> 
you know <laughs> i'm in cape town now you see you can hear my yes. in joburg i said probably something else selling a beer okay, or something so it's a condiment isn't it yes <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I think that's very important because you also sort of started looking at what am I, not only what am I good at, but what am I passionate about? And that seems to have been the thing that started driving you Absolutely. forward into your, into your 60s. Into my 60s. So I found that I it really enjoyed the, the executive coaching, because I could add back, I could add value, gave me a sense of purpose. And when people did go on and achieve, I felt that I had somehow added to it. And my my difficulties, my pain that I had experienced were not in vain, okay? That I can now share those learnings with other people and say, this is what did not work for me, or this is what worked for me you know, let's see how it can work for you. It doesn't, it may not, but let me share with you. So you actually are sharing your wisdom that has been gained through the years. Um, and, and that is your value now, because um, you're now 67. That's right. Um, you you are still working. Yes. <laughs> is that because you want to or because you are, have to? It's a very interesting question. Um, I guess I do have choices. Um, but the message that I was getting from our financial advisor is if you, if, if you can work up till 70, you actually increase your retirement fund even more so by not dipping into it. Um, um, and given that previously when they did the, um, the actuaries worked out, calculated, you know, your, your, your finances, it was based on the fact that we've probably lived till maybe the mid-80s, but we are living now to the mid-90s. So there's a whole lot of replanning having to go on uh, because of the of this longevity revolution, absolutely. And, su and suddenly, you know, the financial advisors are finding themselves with clients who are suddenly saying, "Hey, hang on, the original sort of uh, timeline is changing." Absolutely. So, at seventy, what is your attitude going to be to work? I'll continue working if I can add value. Why not? Um, you remember, um, I've forgotten her first name, Ginsburg, that Supreme Court judge in the USA. She died at the age of 92, but she was still working at 92, right? Um, so, so the point is, if I can add value, and whether I'm being paid for it or not being paid for it, um, it doesn't matter. I need to add value to give me a purpose for living, to give me a purpose that I am making a contribution. Um, and also, it's also about continuous learning. I've just finished a course with UCT right now. I just got the, I got the provisional results and I will be, you know, getting the certificate. But that's what we do. Last year, I did a memoir writing course at UCT, as another example. 
So, so you, you believe in, in, in continuous learning. You're never too old to learn. So continuous learning is what I do all the time. Yep. Why? Why is it so important? Why is it so important to keep learning? Um, there's something called, I think Stephen Covey says, um, sharpening the sword. So how do you keep your skills relevant? It's about curiosity. It's being curious. It keeps you stimulated. It keeps you thinking. It keeps you, makes you relevant. I can't be coaching people and I don't know what's going on in the world. So um, um, artificial intelligence, I must, fourth industrial revolution, fifth industrial revolution, I must know what digitalization of organizations, I must be able to talk to it. Um, I, and I've got to read around these things all the time. But So that's what you do. And I'm not the only person, so I don't think I'm unique. There's lots of other people doing exactly that, you know. Yes, uh, because uh, I think this is also the, the whole thing about our generation or, and uh, what's happening in the world is the model for living our next life is it's certainly not the old model of retirement. Mm -hmm. It's it's mm -hmm. something different. So one, you've said it's 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 having a purpose in life. Uh, it it's continuous learning. Um, that that's how you see the next thirty years going. And, and there's joy in that. There's enjoyment and joy. Okay, and that's very and important. Joy. I mean, I mentioned the swimming earlier on. I mean, when I come out of that pool, the endorphins are sky high. I'm on a complete high um, because, A, I'm doing something I never thought in my whole life that I could ever do properly. But secondly, just... Swim. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then the physical exercise. You know, you feel good after physical exercise. And, and it makes you all... Yeah, so... Yeah. So, so what, is, what is your attitude to health? Well, you see, I think the important thing is having a quality of life. And mm. for quality of life, you need a purpose. You need good health. Mm. You get good mental health. You need good physical health. Quality of life, it's about choices too. But you can also choose to be happy and you can choose not to be happy. The, the other dilemma, the, the other dimension that comes into it is that the things that made us happy then, having a smart car, having a beautiful home, doesn't matter. What does matter more is the quality of relationships that you have, the how you interact with people. You know, and what yes. brings your happiness is very different. So, yes. and even if you don't have to work, volunteer your time. Go and work for an NGO. I mean, I've now been invited onto the board of one or two organizations, and I'm going to, I've taken up that, NGOs. There's no payment involved, but I'm offering my skills. Similarly, yes. um, uh, I still want to get my hands dirty. I may... I'm still looking for something where maybe I can read to children, young children, okay? And because mm. I love reading, I love learning. So how do I instill that into other people? And or you could teach one child maths, you know, sit down with them once a week and help them with their maths because their parents can't. Mm. And have you, th uh, th what are your th thoughts around retirement villages? I can't 
expect to stay. I, I live currently live in a place where there are stairs. Um, I've got to think of beyond beyond seventy. Um, we we don't. I mean, I've seen people where you know you become either afflicted with uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, and other physical ailments where you need assistance. And you know what? Um, I've got no qualms about going into some kind of retirement, semi-retirement. I, I, I had visited a few in Joburg, and I kind of, but that was in my 50s, and I walked away and said, no, 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 no not for me. I've got a new approach yes. and a new attitude. You know what? <laughs> A, I can make friends with the people that I like. <coughs> I can I can still have all my friends outside the retirement villages, village. Um, but the, le- the thing is, I won't be dependent on my children. And I'm also blessed to have choices. A lot of people don't have those choices. So I'm grateful. And then I'll have people to look after me. And, and, and the important thing is, and I've been speaking to a few friends about this, if you think that I'm losing my marbles, then kindly say to me to go and have myself assessed for any form of dementia. Because when you have dementia, you don't know that you have dementia, right? Only other people will notice your dementia. So be kind to me so that I can make my decisions about my future um, when I still am able to rather than wait to a point where my children are scurrying, what do we do with mom? She's suffering from dementia. We need to find her a place. Let me be part of that decision-making. I want to feel empowered. I've had that discussion with my son, and he agrees with me. He understands where I'm coming from. So I am doing research around retirement villages, by the way, and look at what's affordable Mm. and what I like. And I'm planning to visit one or two in the near future. I've already made contact. So I've got an open mind about it um, mm. as opposed to saying, no, that's not for me. It labels me. You can go in, some you can go in at the age of 50, some you go in at the age of 65, but it's whatever suits you. So, yeah, so I'm open to it. The point is, it's about keeping an open mind so that you keep, so that you have options as you move forward. This podcast is brought to you by Shire Consulting and Refinement Network. Production is by Digital Storyteller.